0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. When we mention the subject of the seal and the mark, I'm sure immediately, uh, you know, some thoughts come to mind. As, oh, yeah, I, I know that topic. Uh, that's about this, to- this subject and that subject. And, uh, of course, when we mention the seal, straight away, people think of oh, Sabbath and Sunday. The seal and the mark. So we're going to be exploring that because the current thinking on this subject is such that it has produced a very dangerous condition among us as a people. And that condition is a condition of feeling safe and secure because we know what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, we might have our chart, our favorite chart, with all the different end-time events, and put them right there, you know, and this is when the seal is, and this is when the mark is, and as Adventists, we we uh, have, uh, we know that prophecy and end-time events is important, and we place, uh, you know, a lot of importance on these things, and sometimes we almost feel like there is a, these topics of end-time events, we're experts in them. We have Bible, we have spirit prophecy, and, and we know what's coming, and everything is charted, and it's going to be thus and so, and the mark and the beast, and For the most part, we're pretty certain that we're going to get the seal and avoid the mark because we know what it's all about. So today I want to challenge this particular uh, thinking in a way, maybe, and re-examine this topic that we think we know so well because I believe there's a lot of false security that is attached to our knowledge of just what's going to come and exactly how it's going to be. Because, brothers and sisters, if it's a little different to what we expect, that's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. Especially when you believe that you are an expert on the topic. Now, as a people, when I talk about us as Adventists, I'm talking about every breed of Adventists, whether in the church, out of the church, beside the church, offshoot, upshoot, downshoot, dependent, independent, codependent, every breed of Adventism. You with me? Okay, anyone who claims any profession to the Advent faith, we have this psyche that we know all about the mark and the seal of God, the, the mark of the beast and the seal of God, and we're ready and we're prepared. Poor Sunday keepers out there, they don't know what's going to hit them. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. And so we really want to examine that because there is a grave danger for us. This is, this is the background uh, of what, what we're going to talk about. And... Uh, examining the issue between the seal and the mark. I think we all know that the issue of contention between the seal and the mark is the issue of worship. And the issue of worship, brothers and sisters, is not only about on which day do you worship. There is a lot more to worship than just that. But for most people, this is what the whole issue of the mark and the seal, this is what it all boils down to. Which day do you worship? We want to examine that a little bit today. When we look at the seal, of course, the seal of God is mentioned in Revelation 7. I'm going to be going over some familiar ground, but I don't want you to tune out just because it's familiar, because in a little bit it might get very unfamiliar. Okay, so you might hear something new. So I just want you to, to stay with me. Revelation 7, 2 and 3, it says, And I saw another angel. Ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, "Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads." So this is the seal. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I read it before I put it up. That's this is the, the full verse. So the seal belongs to someone. It belongs to the living God. And we want, to, we want to look at that. But this is the seal of the living God. So the question is, who is this living God? Who is the owner of the seal? Too often, this particular point is totally bypassed when we talk about the seal. Because the assumption is, well, everybody knows that. Let's get to the important bits. Who is the owner of the seal? Who is this living God that this seal belongs to? And we'll look at the Bible answer. Matthew, uh, Matthew 16, 16 is one example of an answer. <laughs> When Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So this gives us the identity of who the living God is. He's the owner of the seal. It's the seal of the living God. He's the father of Christ. That's God, the father. Let's look at another verse. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how did he turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the living and true God has a son whose name is Jesus. So this is very clear. The the living God is none other than God the Father. Now I want you to get this point uh, clearly because the seal does not belong to a committee It does not belong to a group. It only belongs to one individual person, God the Father. Very important, because that's the seal of the living God. It's His seal. Now, I I don't want want to go overboard in emphasizing this. This This is very simple. But unfortunately, this comes as news to a lot of people, actually. This is an area of the seal of God that we haven't really examined. And the reason why we need to examine this in detail and look at the principal foundations of what the seal is all about is this will help us understand the mark. Because the mark of the beast is the inverse of what we find about the seal of God. You with me? So we understand the principles and what this seal is based on and what it means, then we understand the mark. If we misunderstand something about the seal, then automatically we will... Misunderstand something about the mark. And so the seal of God the Father, in Revelation 14, one, it tells us, confirms that for us. It says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. That's the seal of the living God. His name, the Father's name written in the foreheads of the 144,000. They, they are the ones who receive the seal. They're the ones who are sealed with the seal of the living God. It's possessing the name of the Father in the mind. Now when we look at, uh, at that, will just put that in our illustration. So the seal, according to the book of Revelation, is the Father's name. It's who He is. It's His identity. In other words, He is dwelling in the mind of His people. And in the mind is where? Worship takes place. Isn't that right? So it's an issue of worship. And the only way, of course, that that happens is through the Son. The reason I put the Son there is because Jesus said, No man cometh to the Father but what? But by me. And the Bible tells us that the Father's name is in his Son. So when you possess the Son and the life of the Son, you have the Father's name written in the forehead. Very significant point, and we're going to come to that as well. That's why when Jesus said to uh, you know one time in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. mind. What does the mind mean here? Understanding, right? That's where we that's where understanding, that's where worship is. In other words, the worship of God to love Him involves every aspect of our being, involves our understanding. And the seal of the living God is received in the forehead or the mind. That's the same thing we're talking about. It's in the mind that we worship. And Christ emphasized that to the woman at the well when He told her that the true worshippers will worship someone. <clears throat> John 4:23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. So in the last days, the true worshippers which we know is going to be that class that's going to be sealed because they fear God, they give glory to Him, and they worship Him, they'll be worshiping who? The Father. the Father. And based on that, they will be sealed with the seal of the living God, which is the Father's name, in their foreheads, which is in the mind. And someone would say, well, that, that sounds very good, but what, what about the Sabbath? He hasn't even mentioned the Sabbath yet. Where's the Sabbath in all this? Well, let's have a look because the Sabbath is also important. The Sabbath has to do with the seal, but it's not everything that has to do with the seal. Unfortunately, this is what we have come to believe for the most part. In Ezekiel, of course, I think we all know this verse, Ezekiel 20 verse 12, mm-hmm. Moreover also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. The Sabbath here is said to be what? A sign. A sign of what? Okay, according to the, to the verse, it's a sign that the Lord sanctifies. Now, who's the Lord that's referred to here? That's the capital uh, Lord. That's, uh, that's Jehovah in English or in Hebrew, Yahweh. That's the Father's name. In other words, the Sabbath is a sign That God the Father dwells in His people and His presence is what makes them holy or sanctifies them. The sign that indicates that is the Sabbath. And so we need to keep that in mind that it is a sign of the God, the living God who lives in His people, obviously done through the Son. And that's what sanctifies His people. The sign is not the destination Okay, when you're going somewhere, say you're going to Seattle, I don't know which way that is. Which way is it? That way? So you're going to Seattle and you go on the highway and you see a sign that says Seattle. When you stop next to the sign, you haven't arrived in Seattle, even though the sign says Seattle. Okay? The sign is not the destination. The sign tells you where the destination is. The Sabbath here is said to be a sign of the living God. So if you get to the Sabbath and stop you haven't arrived at your destination if you don't have the living God. You with me? Very significant point to keep in mind, that God is the sanctifier of His people, and the Sabbath indicates that. So I want to ask you a question. If you have the Sabbath, and you don't have the living God, can you receive the seal? You sure about that? Okay, that's good. You see, there's an example of that in the Old Testament when God gave to Abraham the covenant, and then he te- it tells us He gave him a sign of that covenant. Remember what the sign was? Circumcision, right? And it was uh, served as a seal of the covenant. But just because you were circumcised as an Israel, Israelite, it does not necessarily mean that you were a believer in the covenant. The covenant was righteousness by faith. You with me? Having the sign, the physical sign, does not mean you have the reality. It should. But it doesn't always mean that. In the same way, we need to keep that in mind with the Sabbath. You cannot separate the two. That's the point we're trying to make here. You cannot really separate the two. Yet, in most people's minds today, the issue of this part of the seal is almost totally non-existent. Isn't that right? When you, talk, when you, ask, when you ask any Adventist about the seal of God, what's the answer you're going to get? The Sabbath. That's it. And we, as a result of that, have a certain sense of safety and security when it comes to the last days because we are all Sabbath keepers. Praise God. So we're safe. You know what I'm talking about? This, it's one of the worst deceptions, brothers and sisters, to go into a, a time of trouble or this conflict thinking you're going to be all well and good and end up on the wrong side thinking that I know everything about the seal, I am certain I'm going to get the seal and ending up with the mark. Or being certain that you will never receive the mark because you know what the seal is and still ending up with the mark. It's a very, very serious thing. As we said, the issue is an issue of worship. And when we talk about worship, we talk about the fourth commandment. That's That's the commandment that tells us about the Sabbath. It tells us when we worship and why we worship. But the fourth commandment comes after another three. And all of them have to do with worship, not just the fourth commandment. The first commandment tells us who we worship. The second commandment tells us what we worship. Third commandment tells us how we worship. And the fourth is the one we know. We have isolated the fourth commandment and reduced everything to that when it comes to worship. The worship issue in the last days. And we've ignored all three. How do the three commandments tell us that? The first commandment says, I am the Lord thy God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me, right? That's the identity of who. And he's a jealous God and so on. The, commandment, the second commandment forbids the making of images. It tells us what God is. He's not an image. He's not uh, an object. he is not even ether or a concept. God is a living being who cannot be represented by things. Third commandment tells us about reverence. How we worship. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And of course the fourth commandment. All of them brothers and sisters are involved in the final conflict in the last days. You realize that? All four. It is very simplistic and shallow to reduce the whole issue to just that. Yeah. And yet that's what we've done, right? And we think we're all safe and well. So this should be served as a, as a wake up call. I want to look at a, at a vivid example of another group of people who did the same thing. In John 8, 42, it says, Jesus said unto them, that's to the Jews, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. The Jews claimed to be worshiping God, right? But they rejected his son. They didn't love him. They actually didn't particularly uh, believe that he was the son of God. They had a very serious problem with him being the Son of God. And a little later in John 12, Jesus says here, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Now the Jews rejected Christ. And rejecting Christ, they were rejecting who? The Father. And all the while they believed that they had the Father. And to prove that, they were excellent Sabbath keepers, right? They had the Sabbath. They kept the law. And keeping the law gave them the sense of safety and security that they had the approval of God. And they had rejected the Lord of the Sabbath. What did their Sabbath keeping do for them? Absolutely nothing. Jerusalem was destroyed while they were in it, keeping the Sabbath. Isn't that right? Now, that example gives us a parallel to another group of people in the last days, who also keep the Sabbath. Isn't that right? And we're going to see that as well. Jesus said in John 5, 23, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And this is what the Jews had done. They had rejected him as the Son of God. And we are to honor him as the Son of God, failing to honor him as the Son for who he is in that That way we dishonor the Father who hath sent Him. And so they had this false trust. Today I believe we have a very similar problem in existence among us as a people. And that problem is we have idolized the Sabbath. And we have magnified our Sabbath keeping to the point that we have made it our Savior. Our trust and our confidence is because we keep the Sabbath. You know what I'm talking about, right? Adventists, we have a sense of pride being Sabbath keepers. And poor old Christians who don't know better, these people go to church on Sunday. We, we have that. And, th- and I don't want you to think, uh, I'm talking about people not here, everyone else. It's even here in this room. This is something that we really need to examine, brothers and sisters. This is the final battle. This Mark and the Beast issue, this is it. If you, if you get it wrong there, it's game over for you. There is no other chance. This is very serious. And so we can't just be, you know, assume things. We can't be shallow about this. We need to truly understand what the issues are all about. And there are so many people, so many of us, that are thinking that we are so ready for that time. And Lord, help us. We are totally unprepared. Hopefully it will get clearer as we go. And you know the Jews, they, con- they condemned Christ for Sabbath-breaking, supposed Sabbath-breaking, right? They were trying to protect the Sabbath, and they condemned the Son of God to protect the Sabbath. And the same thing happens today. When you try and magnify and highlight the Son of God, people say, you know what? This is not an issue in the last days. It's all about the Sabbath. And we have the same mentality to protect the Sabbath. This is the issue, in most people's minds we need to wake up because the Jews were a picture of us what happened to them is something that is very likely going to happen to us God's professed people in these last days let me read you this statement uh, and it basically will spell that out for us manuscript releases volume 17 Satan is working That the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. The Jews had the Old Testament scriptures and supposed themselves conversant with them. But they made a woeful mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming. Because he did not come according to their expectations, they turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. So Satan is working to repeat that same experience to God's professed people in these last days. They believed they understood the Scriptures correctly and they had a certain expectation of what was going to happen. When it happened different to that, they didn't accept it. They ended up being lost. We have our charts and our paintings and our pictures. We have a certain expectation of what is going to happen when it comes to the mark and to the seal. And the danger is if it's a little different, or if we missed something, or misinterpreted some verse, and what actually happens is different to our expectation, it's going to be a very, very serious and late wake up call to a lot of people. It's a very, very serious danger. You know, some people say, well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You know, Mrs. White says, the seal is the Sabbath. This guy is making too much noise about nothing. You know, we have a few statements. Why is this guy rocking our boat? Because, see, brothers and sisters, it's, it's easy to think, you know, i have joined the church. I go to church every Sabbath. That's it. That's easy preparation for the last days. But he's telling me, oh, hold on a minute. There's more? No, 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 no. I don't want to know there's more. There is a battle coming, brothers and sisters. And it's a very, very serious one. Let's look at some statements. Because people say, you know, statements. Here is one. Those who would have the seal of God in their foreheads must keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Okay, so we read the Sabbath and we say, see, there you go. But it also talks about the seal of God. Having the seal of God, you must keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the sign according to this. The two go hand in hand. The sign of the true God. The Sabbath is a sign of true God. Here's another one. The observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to God. So if you have the sign and you don't have the right God, what's that going to do? Keep you in a state of deception. Self-deception. When someone comes and tells you, brother, you know what you get? Oh, 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 oh." no. This is why it only said the Sabbath and immortality of the soul. These are the issues in the last days. You're going on about nothing. I don't want to hear about it. You know what I'm talking about? Nope, too well. It's very sad, but it says that there are people whose salvation is either going to be gained or lost based on how they respond to present truth. And we're like at the very end right now. Here's another statement. This one's familiar to all of us, I think, where it tells us that the seal is the settling into the truth. Let me read it. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, there's not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has begun already. So the sealing is a settling into what? Truth. The truth. Question. What is the first truth that comes to mind when we talk about the seal? Normally, we would say, well, the seal of God. Normally, okay, who's seal? That's right. Normally, we would say the Sabbath. But the owner of the seal should be the very first truth that you meet, the seal of the living God. So the truth about the living God and settling into the truth about the living God is part of the seal. You with me? The seal is not settling into error. Especially when that error has to do with the living God. You with me? You know, I really I really want this to sink into our minds a little bit because you know if it really does, it is really, really alarming to consider. It is really really alarming. Anyway, we'll come to that as well in a, in a minute. The truth, settling into the truth. What about the truth on the Son of God? Is that important? Is that a foundational type truth? <laughs> Jesus said, "If you don't honor me, you don't accept me. You lose out on the Father straight away." Yeah. And these are the very issues, isn't it? Then not surprising that these are the very issues that are being agitated today among God's professed people who believe that of all the people on the earth, they are the most ready for the battle that is coming. Right? And we have all these debates and all these issues being agitated about the Godhead and the Trinity and the Son of God is He a Son? He's not a Son. And the Holy Spirit. You understand now what's happening. The devil is very busy working on undoing something behind the scenes. And all the while, we're trusting that we've got it all worked out. There is a very serious surprise coming, brothers and sisters. Very serious. Now I want to keep in mind something here. I want to emphasize that you know, some, some of us sitting here might feel, OK, well, that's good. I, 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 I know the truth about God, so I'm on I'm the good side. I want to tell you something. Knowing the truth about God does not necessarily mean you know the Father and the Son. Okay? So I want to I rock your boat a little bit too here. I want you to feel so secure. Do you know what I mean? A, a knowledge of the truth is not a settling in, into the truth both intellectually and spiritually. Both are needed. So just because we know the truth about God does not necessarily mean we actively know and have a relationship with the Father and the Son. That's what knowing Him really means. Of course, if you know the truth about God, it should greatly help and enhance that relationship. But if it doesn't, don't feel secure that you just, oh, I know the truth. You see, the seal is not about knowledge. It's about that living connection, that relationship with God. The seal is given to which class of people? It said, and seal the servants of our God in their foreheads. The servants of God. Jesus said in John 12, 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's what the servants of God do. It's not just something in the head. It is something that affects the life and the experience so I want, I want to emphasize that aspect because the human tendency is, we think we're okay if we have the right information. That's the human tendency. We need to watch out for that. You don't serve God by just having right ideas. You don't serve God by having correct interpretations, by having accurate doctrines, by having all these charts and color coding them. And, uh, that's, that's not serving God. Here it is. what it says here. The servants of God are the ones who are sealed in their forehead. Let's not trust in knowledge and interpretation and doctrine. All these things are important and have their place. The seal doesn't come because of those things. And so the servants of God are those who have truly surrendered their life. For God lives in them as their sanctifier. They have the life of the Son. They keep the Sabbath as a sign that He sanctifies them. And so looking at all that, as far as the seal is concerned, it's easy for us to understand the mark of the beast. Because when we talk about the mark of the beast, of course, the first thing that comes to mind if I ask you about the mark of the beast, what are you going to say? Sunday, Sunday, of course. Let's put it here. Sunday. But Sunday alone is not the issue. It cannot be because they are parallel. That's why we put them there so we can see the parallels. Sunday also has to be a sign. Okay? Particularly we talk about enforced Sunday worship when the Sunday law comes and all that stuff and so on. The issue, brothers and sisters, is an issue of worship between the God of the Sabbath and the God of Sunday. Sure. That's what the issue is all about. To reduce the whole thing into just which day you worship is very, very simplistic and very shallow. And, and you know, uh, <laughs> when you talk with, to people about this, a lot of people's safety and preparation for the last days is essentially boils down to their willpower. You say, brother, I'll give you an example. Brother, you know, if they put a gun to my head, I'll never worship on Sunday. I'll keep the Sabbath. You heard things like that? People's willpower to hold on to the Sabbath, they believe this is their security. This is how they will sail through that time unscathed. Right or wrong? A lot of people believe that. You might believe that. I believed that at one point. It's very, very alarming, brothers and sisters. And so, the mark of the beast and the seal of God. It's a contest of worship. May I ask you a question? Easy question. Which is more important? When you worship or who you worship? Who worship. Obviously, It's number one. God put it number one, right? Sure. Okay. But this one seems to be number one to us today. If you got the right day, you're right. You know, I know people who... Uh, you know, if they meet someone on the train or someone on the plane or something, and, and they want to give them their distilled wisdom, this, this the ultimate safety tip for the last days. I have friends who do this. And, you know, they might have a few minutes and they say, look, in the last days, when the Sunday law comes, don't keep Sunday. It's the Sabbath. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. And it's like, you, you might not understand what I'm saying now, but when it happens, you remember this conversation and, and it's Sabbath. It illustrates our mentality and our thinking. The whole issue can be reduced to You got the right day, you're safe, brother. You got the wrong day, woe unto you. Come on, come on. Is it really that simplistic? (laughs) It's the sign of the sanctifier. Look, just like I just showed you, there's more to 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 the seal than what we think, the Sabbath being the sign. There's also a lot more to the mark than we think. Let me read a verse here just to stir our thinking a little bit. Revelation 13, 16 and 17. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. This is one of the first mentions of the mark of the beast, but it tells us here, it gives us three things, right? It tells us there is the mark, or there is the name, or there is the number of his name. And if you have any of these, then you're in the same category, the mark of the beast. Now, we all talk about the mark of the beast. We kind of know what that is. We, we were mentioning it here. We're going to get to that. We know the number. The number is what? The number of his name is? 666. Six, six, six. Okay, what about the name of the beast? Because if you have that, you're in the same group as those who have the mark. And it says here, you can have this or this or this. Any one of them, doesn't matter which, you're on the wrong side. Right? So what's his name? Character authority. Character authority. Okay. We better know and be sure. If we don't know, I'm not sure. You're in serious danger. We don't talk about these things. Isn't that right? Okay, let's have a look at the same chapter. I don't want to quiz you too much. Okay. Revelation 13.1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of what? blasphemy so here it tells us what this name the name of blasphemy okay what does blasphemy mean what is blasphemy something not true of god God is to make god that which is not or to claim the prerogatives of god that do not belong to you remember jesus said you know uh For a good, yeah, for a good work. He said, why are you going to stone me? Why do you want to stone me? They said, we don't want to stone you for a good work, but because you are a man, you make yourself God. And they said, you have blasphemed. Now, of course, Christ was the son of God. That's their misunderstanding. But claiming to be God, also claiming the prerogatives of God, the ability to forgive or the ability to create and all these things like we're familiar with, that is part of blasphemy. So having the name of blasphemy. Now, the name of blasphemy, ...is equivalent to the mark of the beast... ...according to the verse that we just read. Correct? Now I want you to think about that for a minute here. Because the name of blasphemy that the beast carries... ...is blasphemy against God. Because the name is what identifies. You see, God's people are named... ...after Him. They have the Father's name. That's who they worship. The beast has a name of blasphemy... His people are identified by the God that they worship. And that God is a false God. That's why it's called the name of blasphemy. Because it's an issue of worship. Who will you worship? And when will you worship? So the beast has this name of blasphemy. It has to do with the God that they worship. Now I want to tell you something. I think we all know this. You know when we run evangelistic meetings or crusades and we come to the topic of the seal and the mark and the mark of the beast... And and we present quotes from Rome that talk about Sunday as the mark of the beast. You know that? I don't think I need to put those quotes. We all know them. Sunday is our mark of authority. It It is the mark of the beast. And we use that to, you know, drive the point home. There it is from the beast's own mouth. Rome actually tells us that they have a doctrine and a belief that is more important than Sunday. You know that. What belief is that? The God that, they, okay, everybody here knows. I'm preaching to the choir. The God that they worship. We should use these quotes as well. Here's is, here is an example. This is from the Catechism. The mystery of the most holy trinity is the central mystery of the Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. It is therefore the source of all other mysteries of faith. The light that enlightens them. It is the most fundamental and essential teaching in the hierarchy of the truths of faith they know that who you worship is more important than when you worship. And this one, I think we all know this one. The mystery of the Trinity is a central doctrine of the Catholic faith. Upon it are based all the other teachings of the Church. So Sunday is based on the Trinity. As a matter of fact, that's what Rome says is the reason why they keep Sunday. Catholic reasons for keeping Sunday because it is... it is a day dedicated by the Apostles to the honor of the most holy Trinity. Let me assure you, the Apostles did no such thing, <laughs> okay? But Rome says, the reason why we worship on Sunday is because of the Trinity. And this actually was, was printed in the Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald, 1854. You don't see these quotes anymore in the Review and Herald. <laughs> this, these days are long gone, 1854. In other words, God's people at one point in time knew and understood, and they printed some of these things. But somehow this knowledge seems to have been lost. And the danger as a result of that is, is, I cannot emphasize it enough, it's it's incredible. This is the God that they worship, and this is the name of blasphemy that they carry. They blaspheme God by putting someone else in His place and worship that someone else as God. That's how the uh, triune God replaces the true God in their minds. And the problem does not only exist for them, it also exi- exists for all their daughters, okay? Oh, yeah. You know that, all the other churches. Uh, let's, uh, let's just put that there. This is the God that they worship, and uh, the God that they worship, this Trinity, it can be symbolized this way. This Trinity is how Sunday is... It, the Sunday is the sign of this God that is worshipped in this system of the beast. Sunday is a sign of allegiance and loyalty to the God of the beast. And that's the Trinity or the Sun God. Now, we did a study on this called the gods of Babylon. I don't know if it's here. I'm not going to go into all the details of of showing the origin of that. If you don't know it, have a look at it. If you know it, great. You can tell those who don't know, okay? But this is the God that is worshipped in Rome. They obviously don't worship a true God, okay? They worship the false God of Babylon. That's where the Sun God comes from. They have another God, they have another priesthood, they have, every truth of the scripture has been perverted. Okay, this is, we know all that. Revelation 17, 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember, if you have this name of blasphemy, you're in the same group as those who receive the mark of the beast. That's why on the forehead of the woman, a little later in that chapter, it says, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. All the daughters have the same name. That's all the churches, right? Infected, and they worship the same God. Mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Remember uh, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and 9, there is a list of abominations there. And these abominations exist among God's professed people. Uh, what abominations were listed there? They're all abominations that have to do with who is worshipped. And they culminate finally in chapter 8, towards the end of the chapter, with worship of the sun. Yeah. Worship of the sun God. We did a study, I think, here last year, I think? Yeah. Biblical 9.11. If you haven't yeah. seen it, I would recommend you have a look at it, where we explore Ezekiel 9. 8 and 9, so the sun god of Rome is this name of blasphemy, whereby they blaspheme the true God, the true and living God, where is our diagram, yeah, let's go back, the true and living God, that's how he is blasphemed, now someone might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. this preacher, now you guys, you just go on about this Godhead stuff, and you just want to poke it everywhere, And make the whole issue about the Godhead. And you're totally off with the fairies when it comes to this. You've just totally destroyed the issue. And someone might say that. Because this might be very startling. And some people might not agree with that. Are we really off with the fairies what we're talking about? We saw the principles in the scriptures for this. But let me show you some spirit prophecy quotes as well. Because, you know, (laughs) inevitably you show people someone and say, Hold on, Mrs. White says. And pull out a quote. And another quote. Well, let's look at some other quotes that don't get pulled out that often and see what she says about this topic. Here is one from Testimonies, Volume 6. The light we have received upon the third angel's message is the true light. The mark of the beast is exactly what it has been proclaimed to be, which is what? Enforced Sunday. Not all in regard to this matter is yet understood, nor will it be understood until the unrolling of the scroll. But a most solemn work is to be accomplished in our world. I want you to think about that for a minute. It says the mark of the beast is what we said it is, but there is more. So here's the question. What is the more? It says it won't be known until the rolling of the scroll. It's about 100 years or so since she wrote that. So there has been some more unrolling of the scroll. Time and pa- The passage of time has revealed things. What is more to the mark of the beast? We're looking at an example of what more looks like. What the deeper issues involved in the mark of the beast are, and several of the Lord says there is more than just enforced Sunday worship. So if you stop at Sunday, you're in danger. When it comes to the mark of the beast, so there is more to the story. It is not. <clears throat> it is not just that. Now I'm not denying that uh, Sunday is part of the mark of the beast. But am I saying that the Trinity has to do with the mark of the beast? Yes, I am. I wanna make it clear so nobody misunderstands me. It doesn't replace Sunday. It is the root of the problem. It is because of the worship of the wrong God that you end up worshiping on the wrong day. You with me? The issue is an issue of worship. Who are you gonna worship in the last days? And so obviously if you worship the wrong God, of course it's gonna have to do with the mark of the beast. That's why we want to warn people. So it's not just about Sunday. The problem today, the deception today is so extensive, brothers and sisters, that when you point out the truth about the living God, it gets ridiculed and it gets rejected. That shows you how ingenious the devil has been. It's very, very sad because, you know, I think about it. If I really wanted to sink into our minds, how many Adventists, how many of us are there? 17 million or something? 18? Let's say 20, okay? They they, they put the figure at 25, I think, because they count all the kids, or whatever it is. That's a lot of millions, right? Do you know how sad it is for us? Here's all these people. We know we just got it all right, ready for the time of trouble, and the mark, and the beast, and actually, we're not ready. It's one of the worst deceptions. You know, if it really sinks into your mind, it's it's just overwhelming. Way overwhelming. It is a very, very dangerous, dangerous thing. The Jews perished while they were keeping the Sabbath. Is it possible that others today might also perish while they're keeping the Sabbath? That's very, very possible. Now I want to represent, I want to show you an example of what I mean when I talk about, when we say that in the Adventist psyche, this this is essentially what the whole issue boils down to. Let me play you this clip. I hope it's loud enough for us to hear.
1: So, Elder Wilson, we've heard about the beast, his image. What about this mark? What is this mark? Well, Don, it's mentioned, of course, in verse 9. It is also mentioned in verse 11. And it is always connected in both of those places with the worshiping of the beast and his image. So there's something about the mark and the worship. And actually, this does uh, represent very much the authority of the beast and the image. And what gives that that power, that authority? As we understand it from uh, biblical understanding, that this comes out of an attempt to change times and laws which is founded in an understanding that it comes out of Rome and an attempt to actually change God's Ten Commandments so that the day of worship becomes one other than the seventh-day Sabbath. And in fact, the mark of the beast would be the worship of God on any other day than that particular day because that is a sign of God's authority. In fact, let's contrast the mark of the beast with the seal of God because the seal of God for God's people in the last days will be their adherence, their love of Him, and their observance of the day which He has ordained and made sacred, the seventh-day Sabbath. So you are sealed with a special connection with him when you keep that day. Anyone keeping a day other than that ultimately will be keeping the sign or the mark of the authority of the beast which has changed the day of worship to another day.
0: Okay, I don't know if you've seen that before, but I think that can be taken as fairly representative of the Adventist psyche and understanding of what the mark of the beast is. The whole issue is over which day? You got the right day? Great. You got any other day? He didn't even mention Sunday, but you got any other day, you're wrong. Well, we won't deal with that, but brothers and sisters, there's a lot more to the issue than just that. Now, it's good he mentioned loving God. That's good. You better have the true and living God in your mind, or it doesn't matter how many Sabbaths you have kept, it will amount to nothing. You see, as I'm illustrating here, we have a very serious problem in existence today, brothers and sisters. It's very, serious, it's very sad. Back in the days of, of, of the pioneers and Ellen White, it was a different story. Back in those days, they had the truth, and they had the true living God, and the Sabbath together. Today, the situation has changed a little bit. I want to ask you a question. Let me put forward some scenarios here to really get you thinking. Is it possible for a Sunday worshipper to be worshipping the true and living God? Yes. Sure. Sure. Is that possible? Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, right now? Okay.
1: Right
0: now. <laughs> okay, eventually, if they serve, obviously, a true and living God, the Spirit of God eventually will lead them to, to the true sign. But th- that, is, that is a possible scenario, right? Yes. Okay. What about the other scenario? Is it possible for a Sabbath keeper to be worshipping the God of Rome? Yeah. Now, looking at this, uh, all these potential scenarios that might exist, what would a person receive this way or this way? Yeah. Would they receive the seal or the mark? I want you to think about that. Oh, these are hard questions for the last days. Just Sabbath mark, uh, seal, that's it. Sunday mark. Why is this brother complicating the issue? These are real scenarios that exist. You know that. If you have the right day and you have the wrong God, are you going to get the seal of the living God? No way. How can you get the seal of this God when you have another God? What, What do you think God is? It's His own seal. Now, this is very serious. Look. Let me me spell it out for you. I know some people are going to really do flips when they hear this. They say, whoa, no, 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 no. This is total heresy. Let me read you another statement. Bible Commentary, Volume 7. The third angel's message has been sent forth to the world, warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads or in their hands. To receive this mark means to come to the same decision as the beast has done And to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. Think about that for a minute. To receive the mark is to come to the same decision as the beast and advocate the same unbiblical ideas. The beast tells us what their most important idea is. That's what they advocate, it's non-biblical. According to spirit prophecy here, and that's an issue of worship says to receive the mark is to come to the same conclusion and advocate the same thing, especially when it has to do with worship. Have you seen the statement before? We don't quote these statements when we talk about the seal and the mark, right? So in other words, the mark of the beast is not just limited to Sunday worship. There is more to the mark, especially when it's an issue that has to do with worship. I can't emphasize this enough. Who... Do we worship? Question. If we advocate the same God as Rome, what are we promoting? According to this. The mark of the beast. I didn't say it. It says it right here. Correct? Because I don't want to go from people saying, oh, this brother said this, this brother said that. You're reading it for yourself. To advocate the God of the beast in whatever version or variety or, or, you know, twist to it amounts to the same thing so long as it is in direct opposition to the Word of God. This is your standard. This is your test. You're out of the Word, you're on the other side. Now this is, this is really serious because, you know, I think we don't talk about this when it comes to the mark of the beast. Because this all of a sudden makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I really, really pray that this really sinks into our minds because it is really overwhelming. You know, when, when this dawned on me, I, was, I didn't want to accept it. no No, 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 no. This is, this is too much. God's people, the church that God loves with all His heart, my church, our church, our own brothers and sisters. I know everybody here, you've got friends, you've got family, you've got brothers and sisters who might not necessarily believe and understand what you believe and understand. There is a deception that's been perpetrated upon us, brothers and sisters, a horrible, demonic deception that's going to take thousands down. And it's just upon us. This is not about arguing theology and doctrine. Listen, This is coming, and it's just upon us. If you're not prepared, if you've got the wrong God, you are on the wrong side. I think we played this the other day. Let me play it again in light of what we're talking about.
1: Let me also indicate that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all participated in the literal creation of this world. They are the Godhead, three in one, and have existed since eternity and will exist throughout eternity, they are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and everlasting. Three distinct eternal persons, one God, our Almighty God.
0: Here is the God and the sign. Who else worships the same God? Who worships the three-in-one and one-in-three God? We just read it. Rome. This is, again, representative of Adventism. This is a very serious thing, brothers and sisters. To come to the same conclusions as the beast and to promote the same ideas contrary to the word of God is tantamount to receiving the mark of the beast. I'm saying something that is extremely dangerous. I realize that. But I can't be quiet. It is very, very dangerous. You know, when Ellen talked about the seal of God and the mark of the beast, and basically what we just saw illustrates one of those scenarios, right? Where we have this day and we have this God. And you can decide what happens then. I don't think it takes a genius to figure out. It's very serious. When we talk about the church today, when we talk about Ellen White and the quotes, I just want to finish with this example because I think it really illustrates the point well. Today the church believes in the Trinity and says what we had there was wrong in our history, right? And, uh, and we've moved on, we've advanced, we've progressed, whatever you want to call it. But this is a yeah, new light. This is where we are now. The church, during the time of Alan White and the pioneers, they worshipped the true God, the living God, only true God, the Father, His only begotten Son, and they believed that the Spirit was their personal presence. Okay, that's what we've been talking about the day before yesterday, the other day. Now, during the days of Alan White, there is a very interesting case of someone that she says was sealed. You remember who that is? Sister, Sister, Hastings. Sister Hastings. Okay, let's read it. She wrote her husband, Sister Hastings just died, so she's writing her husband to comfort him and encourage him. She tells him, I saw that she, Mrs. Hastings, was sealed and would come up at the voice of God and stand upon the earth and would be with the 144,000. I saw we need not mourn for her. She would rest in the time of trouble. And all that we could mourn for was our loss of being deprived of her company. I saw her death would result in good. This was written in what year? 1850. Question. Which God did Mrs. Hastings believe in and worship? The same God that her whole church believed in and worshipped, which is admitted today by Trinitarians that it is not the Trinity. Correct? And she was sealed with the seal of the living God, according to this statement. She was also a Sabbath keeper, obviously. So how do we today, admitting that we have a different God, expect to receive the same seal? You see, when we talk about the course from Mrs. White, we need to take into account the historical context of what was happening in the background. There is not going to be in the 144,000 some group who are sealed who believe this and another group who are sealed who believe that. And one group here, they worship this. And one group who progress now and they worship something else. That is nonsense. There is no nice way to say it. That is total nonsense. Ludicrous. All who are sealed worship the true and living God. They don't worship anyone else. You cannot expect to be sealed if you admit you have a different God today. That's impossible. You see this contradiction exists and people are not aware of it. And going into the time of trouble totally unaware and unprepared. It's a very very serious problem brothers and sisters. This is someone that we know who was sealed. So not all who profess to keep the Sabbath are gonna be sealed. And Not all who profess to know the truth about God are going to be sealed either. I don't want to forget that, okay? The truth has to be a practical reality in our lives. If you're not settled into the truth intellectually and spiritually, you also will not be sealed. So don't go living here feeling all safe and good and pour them over there, okay? Uh, This is a warning for all of us. And it's a very, very serious warning. So I hope that uh, this has made us a little bit aware of the deeper issues when it comes to the seal, when it comes to the mark, when it comes to the issue of who we worship. And let's give the devil some more credit than we do. That he will twist things a little bit. You know, because think about it. You know, I think we figured it all out when it comes to that. We figured his plan out. Yeah, we we got it. Just give him a little bit more credit. He's going to try and deceive the very people who think they know it all, right? Right. He has succeeded to a large degree. You heard it with your own ears. This is sort of... I hope and pray that the Spirit really drive this, drives this home. We have a very serious responsibility to warn our brethren of that which is coming. It's coming, it's gonna come like a storm. Can you realize when people wake up too late to realize, hold on, we've been worshiping the wrong God? And so I pray that your experience will be one that will reflect the reality that the Lord is living in you, He is your sanctifier, And that's what Sabbath-keeping indicates in your experience. And not only that, but to carry out the responsibility of warning our brothers and sisters, and please, not bashing them on the head with those quotes, but in love to win them. You know there's a lot of animosity to the truth. You know that. You know when you talk about the Son of God, you really stir up the spirit of the dragon. The devil hates the Son of God. A lot of the animosity that is manifested by people is really a manifestation of the spirit of the dragon who hates the begotten Son. Our brethren are victims to a horrible deception. They are not the dragon. They are victims. And we have a responsibility to be our brother's keeper. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through his son, Jesus.